You know, I guess I've been thinking about all the skills needed to be a dad, and I think one of the top skills needed is just to keep from freaking out. <laughs> I, after I thought about it, you know, I was, um, this is, my son, Stephen, reminded me of a story that I haven't told in a lot of years, but it's a story about a guy that was taking his two-year-old, you know, kid going through the terrible twos, to the grocery store, and he had him in the little seat in the shopping cart. The kid was just going crazy screaming, yelling at the top of his voice. I mean, everybody in the store turning around to look. Parents, you know what that's like. And, and, the, and the guy who pushed, the dad pushing the basket just said, Tyler, now be calm, Tyler. Just stay calm, Tyler. Now, don't, don't lose it, Tyler. Stay calm. And about three or four minutes of that, another shopper lady walked up to him and said, you know, that is just so sweet how calming you are with little Tyler. He said, lady, I'm Tyler. <laughs> Then when the teen years come, you just thought the terrible twos or something. It's those terrible 15s. Dad walked into his son's bedroom, found an envelope on the pillow. Envelope just said, Dad. And Dad opened up the letter, and here's what was on the inside. Dear Dad, I'm sorry I had to write you like this instead of telling you this face-to-face, but I didn't want the scene with you and Mom. I'm running off with my new girlfriend, Chloe. She's pregnant. I know you won't like her with all her piercing and motorcycle gang tattoos, (laughs) but mostly because she's 20 years older than me. (laughs) But we love each other, and she promises to quit selling drugs as soon as the baby comes. Tell mom it's okay that I'm not going to get a college education and everything because Chloe's got a trailer in the woods and we'll be with her friends and we're going to live off the land. We want lots of children. Don't worry about me, Dad. I'm 15. I know how to take care of myself. And I'm sure we'll be back to visit you someday so you'll get to know your grandchildren. Your son, Chad. P.S. None of this is true. I'm really over at Brandon's house. (laughs) Truth is, I got an F in algebra. (laughs) I just want you to know before you saw my report card that things could be worse. (laughs) I love you, Dad. (laughs) Call me when it's safe to come home. (laughs) Well, today at New Spring, we're honoring dads. You know, it's kind of out of style. I really wonder how much longer we're going to have Father's Day and Mother's Day before it all changes to Parents' Day because everything's got to be so generic these days. It's like our culture has left dads behind. For years, watching television or movies, if a dad's presented, he's usually presented as a buffoon or the butt of the joke. This is a real story from WMC-TV in Memphis. There's a Texas family that was doing a cross-country vacation, and if you've ever done one of those where you do a lot of straight driving, you know how that you change drivers. 
and his family driving through Tennessee, they decided that it was time for the dad to go back into the back of the minivan and get some sleep. So they stopped at a convenience store for gasoline. The dad was going to get in the back of the van, but of course he had to pay for the gasoline and the other things the family bought. So he went in to pay for it. And while he went in to pay, the family figured he was already in the back of sleep and they just drove off without him. So he used the phone there at the convenience store to call his own cell phone, but it was on the charger in the van. He said, there's nothing that feels like getting your own voice on voicemail when you're in a desperate situation like that. But he wasn't worried because the other five members of his family all had cell phones. So one by one, he called all five cell phones and nobody answered. Then he really got scared. He called the police and they still couldn't, couldn't find the rest of the family. So finally, he got an idea. He went across the street to the hotel, and he borrowed their computer, and he Facebooked his family, and that's how he got their attention. And they were 100 miles down the road by this time. They had to come back and pick him up. That's a real story. And I, I think it's a metaphor for our culture because it's like dads in our <laughs> enlightened, boy, that's a joke, culture have kind of left dads behind. Things have changed in America. In 1948, 78% of households had married couples. By 2010, that number had dropped to 48%. I'm not really sure a culture is prepared to embrace that significant of a change. And today, families with married couples and children comprise only 20% of the households in the United States. Sabrina Tabernice, writing in the New York Times, writes, the iconic image of the American family continues to break apart. Now, that's not a minister saying that. It's just a writer in the Gray Lady, New York Times. She wrote, the iconic image of the American family continues to break apart. All these years of social engineering have been hard on fatherhood, I don't know if you recognize the name Terry Crews or not. He was an NFL player, but mostly we know him because he went into acting and he's been on a number of shows, television shows. Not long ago, he was invited to be on The View. And while he was being questioned about men, I guess, he suggested that there were some things that a child could only get from a father. And he mentioned a name, security, and confidence. And all hell broke loose on The View. I've never seen the show, but I understand that that's not all that uncommon. But Whoopi Goldberg made fun of him. And Jenny McCarthy demanded that she was raising a son by herself and she could give her son all those things. And it went on and on, and the volume got louder and louder with the accusation that Terry Crews was being disrespectful to homes with single parents or single moms and homosexual couples. McCarthy demanding that her, quote, amazing son needs no man. Well, I'm torn here because I stand first in line to respect single parents. I mean, I am first in line to respect parents who have single parenthood thrust upon them. And I do believe that the grace of God enables single parents, especially those who put their confidence in God, to give their kids extraordinary gifts so I, I'm torn there. I mean, whatever your political persuasion is, none of us could escape the story of Dr. Ben Carson, the 
great neurosurgeon who was able to separate conjoined Siamese twins, the first surgeon to ever do that. And he grew up in a home with a single mom. And he grew up in all kinds of difficult situations and even getting in trouble and having anger issues when he was young. And his mom did such a phenomenal job. So on one hand, I'm, I'm respectful of the fact that many parents, both male and female, have single parenthood thrust upon them. And I wouldn't suggest that the grace of God would be unable to empower that parent to do the job. But by the same token, there are studies, well, there are studies after studies that reveal to us what exactly the Bible says. The fathers play a huge role in children's lives. I don't, I don't think that we can look at the fact that there are some single parents who are able to do a great job and look at the fact that fathers are important as mutually exclusive. Dr. Gail Gross, she's an author in human behavior, parenting, and education expert writing in the Huffington Post. I don't know if she wrote specifically for the Huffington Post or if it just picked up her article. Wrote a statement that is so powerful that I wanted you to see it on the IMAG screens. She said, studies show that if your child's father is affectionate, supportive, and involved, he can contribute greatly to your child's, listen to this list, cognitive, language, and social development, as well as academic achievement, a strong inner core, a sense of well-being, good self-esteem, and authenticity. Now, that's a strong statement, but not as powerful as what she goes on to say. Your child's primary relationship with his or her father can affect all your child's relationships from birth to death, including those with friends. And this next sentence is so big, I have it in red in my notes. Those early patterns of interaction with father are the very patterns that will be projected forward into all relationships. That's a massive statement from Dr. Gail Gross in the Huffington Post. And I think she was saying what Terry Crews was trying to say on The View, just simply that dads are important. But for a few moments today, I want to talk to dads and everybody who loves a dad. And you know, I'm a pastor's kid, and I grew up in a church, and so I've heard a lot of Father's Day sermons, and there's a weird kind of thing that happens in churches on Father's Day. On Mother's Day, we tend to talk about how important motherhood is, but for some reason, we don't we don't carry that over to Father, Father's Day. It's almost like dads get raked over the coals for being a failure in all the sermons on Father's Day, at least a lot of the ones that I've heard. So I want to reverse that today. I want to talk to dads about your challenging role. And for a few moments, I want to honor the challenge that you have as dads, and I want to leave you with three thoughts, and then this service will be over. Here's the first thought that I want to leave with you. It's hard to be in charge. It's hard to be in charge. Now, if you think that being in charge is just throwing your weight around and yelling and screaming, that's not what it means to be in charge. Any fool can do that. Being in charge is something else. In fact, it's the most difficult thing that you'll ever do. It's the most sacrificial thing that you'll ever do. My son, Stephen, my youngest, when he was very small, he was very verbal but he was verbal ahead of his years. I mean, he was, or maybe I should say verbal ahead of his months. And he learned expressions, but he didn't always know what they meant. And when he got really mad at somebody, he meant to say, I'm going to put you in time out. But he got his expressions confused. And he used to look at somebody he was mad at with anger on his eyes and say, I'm going to put you in charge. <laughs> I used to think about that. 
we were going through some challenging times at New Spring back then in the mid-90s, and I, used, I was thinking to myself every time I heard Stephen say that, you know, that could be the worst punishment you could give somebody is <laughs> put them in charge. It's not easy being a leader. You know, if you've never had authority or if you've never been in charge, you may think that the people who have responsibility or are in charge, you may think that they get to do anything they want to do. And there is, I think that sense when we're young and we're growing up and we're immature, we have that thing, well, I want to be in charge because when I'm in charge, I can do whatever I want to do. That's what people in charge get to do. I got a phone call from a CEO of a regional company. He's not a member of New Spring. I just did a talk for his corporation, a highly successful company. They're featured on the cover of a trade magazine. But when commodity prices dipped, his company, well, they, they were doing fine, really, by, by national standards, but they were down from where they were when commodity prices were up. And he called me and asked me if I would meet him for lunch. And I looked in the face of a CEO, and several times I looked at his eyes, and he almost teared up as the challenges that his team and his people were facing and his sense that he needed to be able to do more as a CEO. Leadership is the most expensive commodity in the world. Like I said, being a boss and throwing a weight around, any fool can do that. But being a leader, let me tell you what being a leader means. Being a leader means you're the one who can't quit. Everybody else may throw up their hands and say, I've had enough, I can't take this anymore, and walk out. If you're a leader, it means you can't quit. Robbie Zacharias tells the story of two captains. One of the stories is pretty recent, and you might remember the story. There was a ferry boat in Seoul, South Korea, that capsized, killing hundreds, mostly high school students. And when they went looking for the captain, he was one of the first people off the ship. He got to dry ground safely. But the hundred high school students who weren't familiar with riding a ferry were waiting for somebody to tell them what to do, and nobody was there to tell them to abandon ship. The other story he tells is about an Air Canada flight flying from Toronto to Dallas in 1983. And a fire broke out in the back of the aircraft. And the pilot put it in a steep, steep descent and landed in the Covington, Kentucky, Cincinnati airport. And when the doors opened up and the oxygen rushed in, of course, the fire billowed. And several died on the aircraft, but there were a number that were able to escape safely. The pilot was the last person off the plane. They had to pull him through the glass, through the window with his uniform on fire. Dads, that's what it means to be in charge. You're the last person off, and they pull you through the window with your clothes on fire. Here's something that all of us need to understand, and many of you in leadership do know this, but if you're young and many new springers are young, I want to say this. The more authority you get the less you can do what you want to do. Many years ago, I was preaching in the shadow of the Pentagon at a great church in Fairfax, Virginia, and the church was filled with military brass. After the Sunday night service, the first time I spoke there, the pastor said to me, I would like for you to meet a couple, and he introduced me to an attractive couple in their early 40s, Ron and Linda Henderson. And in the Air Force, they use a term, you may be familiar with this if you're an officer in the Air Force, but they use the term charm school. I was told that by the other Pentagon people there. 
If an officer is in charm school, that means that he's going to be or she's going to be risen through the ranks very quickly. And the people there at the Pentagon told me that Ron was in charm school. And when I met him, he had just been pinned with his first star. And the reason the pastor wanted me to meet him was his first command was going to be McConnell Air Force Base. And Ron and Linda came to Wichita, and they were at New Spring for a couple of years while he was a commander. But being in charm school, they brought him back to the Pentagon. And it wasn't long after that that he got pinned with the second star. I was back at the church doing a conference. Dan Kubish, our missions pastor and children's pastor, was with me. And they, Ron and Linda invited us to dinner. And it was during the conflict in Kosovo in that area in the late 90s. And Ron was telling us how that he got word from his superiors that he needed to pack quickly that day and get ready to leave for that part of the world. And he was told that he would be there for quite some time. We're talking weeks, if not months. And he told me while he was there, he only was able to call Linda one time a week and talk to her. I think it was like 10 minutes at a time. And I guess I must have been sitting there with my mouth wide open because Ron read my mind. And he said, I have more control over my career when I was a second lieutenant than I do as a major general. I said, there are lots of second lieutenants. There aren't many major generals. The further you rise up in authority, the less you can do what you want to do. The more people you work for. And you are the one person who can't leave. Mary Alice told me a story the other night at dinner. She was sitting outside. And she heard a sound, a screaming, screeching sound. She said at first she thought it was an animal. She didn't know she was hearing a bobcat or what. But she heard this screeching sound, and she wondered what it was. But then after a while, it was getting closer and closer, and, and she could determine it was, the, it was a child, a preteen, screaming at the top of his voice. And then she could make out the words, Daddy, Daddy, please don't leave us. Daddy, please don't leave us. And then she watched as they walked out of the house, the boy following his dad, and his dad got in his truck and drove away. Every one of us had fathers who failed. But if you had a dad who stayed, you owe him honor today. If you have a stepdad who stays, you owe him honor today. The second thought that I want to leave with you is that dads have an important but impossible task. That task is spelled out for us in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. In the first verse, it says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. I thought that was the only verse in the Bible when I was growing up. <laughs> because that was all my dad ever quoted to me. But in verse 4, it says fathers. Now, there are times in the Bible where it says fathers, but it's a generic term, and it refers to both parents. This time, it refers to dads. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Some of you have a translation that says, do not exasperate your children. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Last night before the 4 o'clock service, Jonathan was sitting in my office, and I said, you know, I think it's time for us to do another sermon series on, on parenting. And I said, I think I just want to call it Raise Them. You know, when we talk about raising kids, we use that term almost as a synonym for parenting. But we need to stop for a moment and think about the verb that God uses, raise them. You know, there are two alternatives. 
The, the two alternatives are, number one, you can leave them where they are. Number two, you can push them down. But God says, fathers, raise them. Don't exasperate them. Don't make them feel that they can never please you or be successful. You know, I have friends who are my age who are still dealing with the fact that they could never please their dads when they were growing up. And their dads are long gone, but they're still living with that. Elton John had a dad who was very abusive and mean and hot, uh, harsh. And he never could please his dad. And he said, you know, in, even at his age today, he said, when I'm playing something, I think, you know, my dad would have loved that. But in an interview, he was talking about this, and his mother was there. And his mother said, well, that's just the way men were back there. She said, it didn't really affect you. And quietly, Elton John said, it affects me every day of my life. Fathers, don't exasperate your children, but bring them up. Bring them up. Through the training and the instruction that comes from the Lord. Some people might argue that the greatest scientist of the 20th century was Albert Einstein, the great physicist, the guy that came up with a formula E equals MC square, you know, and, and was so brilliant. I won't take much time talking about Einstein because you guys know who he is, but you know what got him interested in physics? When he was a little boy, his dad gave him a compass. And he kept looking at that compass, and he was just, he marveled at how it worked, and he thought, wow, there's got to be more to it than that. And so he started being interested in what made a compass be a compass, and from that point on, his interest in physics exploded. Uh, you, know what, you know what stood up to me about that story? His dad gave him a compass for me, and almost became a metaphor for what dads do. My own dad died three years ago, right about this time of year. My dad and I are as different as you can be. Our personalities are as different as they could be. Strangely enough, we both did the same job, but it's apples and oranges. He pastored a church of about 150 to 170 people, and I pastor a very different kind of church. So even though you could say we're both pastors, our jobs are as different as daylight and dark. But I started thinking about something. My dad was married to the same lady for 69 years. Last week, Mary Alice and I have been married 39 years. My dad pastored one church for 50 years. I'm in my 31st year, 32nd year here at New Spring. Although we're as different as daylight and dark, he left me a compass. See, my dad could never predict or imagine all the roads I would travel. He couldn't give me a map, but he gave me a compass. I knew what true north was. I knew what honor meant. I knew what keeping your word meant. I knew what being good to my wife meant. I knew what being available to my children meant. And I knew what it meant to serve God as a leader. He left me a compass. Dads, grandfathers, stepdads, that's what we need to do. We're not going to have every answer our kids need for all the things that they're going to face in life. It's all right. We don't need to give them a map. We need to give them a compass. Finally, third thing I want to leave with you is dads have a place to go when they get to the end of the rope. I think there's a little secret about being a dad. 
I think it overwhelms us and intimidates us. You know, dads can look like, oh, this goes real cool. I got this. I think most of the time we're scared to death of being a parent. We're afraid of getting it wrong, aren't we? We look at that little girl, that little boy. We look at that teenager and we think, oh, I hope I don't screw this up. If I screw up something at work, it's something at work. This is my kid. See, mothers have the maternal instinct, and I think that intimidates dads. Because we're like, we don't get the paternal instinct. And I think because of that, there's so many times we, don't, we really don't know what to do. And we get to the end of our rope. I want to take a few moments. I was in California this week. I couldn't sleep one night. We were celebrating our 39th anniversary. And, and when I couldn't sleep, I was thinking about this sermon. And I thought, I don't want to bring the average Father's Day sermon. I want to bring something really different that really does help and speak to dads. And for some reason, I happen to think about this particular story because it's a story about a dad who got to the end of his rope. But we've, we've had a lot of fun with this dad rules thing. But I'll tell you something. Nothing will show you just how out of control you really are like being a dad. But the guy in my story in the Bible verse here, he actually was a ruler. The Bible says one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Jared's job was to run the synagogue, the house of worship. He determined who was going to read the scriptures, who was going to sing, who was going to bring the message. He determined what was going to happen in the synagogue, how it was going to be taken care of. He was large and in charge. He was one of the most important men in the community. And yet there was something that brought him to his knees. I'll read it to you. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. And dads, I want you to look at this next line. So Jesus went with him. Dads, it's okay for parenting to bring you to your knees if it brings you to your knees at the feet of Jesus. There's a verse in the Bible that I think about usually when it comes to pastoring. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul asks, who is capable for such a task? Well, I want to apply that to fatherhood. Who is capable for such a task? One translation says, who is equal to such a task? One translation says, who is up to such a task? Another one says, who is sufficient for these things? Who is capable for being a dad? I'm not. But five verses later, Paul writes this. There is nothing in us that allows us to claim that we are capable. The capacity we have comes from God. It is he who made us capable. Dads, could I just say to you today, you're not capable of being a dad. If you feel like you're a failure, put her there. We all do. Just go to the feet of Jesus. Tell him your problem. Bring your kids to Jesus, and Jesus will go with you, and he will help you. You will never be a perfect dad. You will never be able to be prescient. I mean, hindsight will always be 20-20. And when you get to my age and you're a dad and a grandfather, you will look back and say, I wish I could have done this differently or done that differently. But if you will trust God, I mean, here's the thing. So many of you have your kids in church here today in Kids World. You're doing a phenomenal job. You're bringing your kids to Jesus. Others of you dads, you read to your kids. You pray with your dads. You pray with your kids. You talk to them about scriptures. Those Those are great things. You're bringing your kids to Jesus, and he will help you. Well, i got to talk to a different group of people here for just a minute. I want to talk to those of you for whom Father's Day is painful. Because all this talk that I've had about dads has been very hard for you. And you're sitting in your seat and you're just trying to survive this message. Because you're saying to yourself, my dad, 
was not a good dad. Maybe he was an absentee dad. Maybe he wasn't there. Maybe your dad was a dad that couldn't be pleased and he was hostile and harsh like Elton John's. In a crowd this size, pastoring as long as I've pastored, I feel sure that there is someone here today, if not several of you, who were abused physically and some of you who may have been abused sexually by your father. This is a hard day. And I respect that. But for all of us here today across the board, there is one universal truth. That when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God becomes your eternal father. And you know what? There's no father here today who is everything he's supposed to be. We all fail, and there's a spectrum of failure. And some are deep in the dark side of that spectrum. There's a verse that David said in the Psalms. I believe it's the 27th Psalm in the 10th verse. He said, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. And so if you're here today or you're watching online or on television or in the North Auditorium and you say, Mark, my dad didn't hold me close, but your heavenly father will. My dad's not here. We hugged each other thousands of times, I guess. But he can't hold me close today because death took him. But my heavenly father can hold me close. How do you know if God is your father? Um, There was another man in my life who was hugely influential. It was Mary Alice's dad. Mary Alice and I met when I was in high school. You know when when you meet somebody... And you start dating them, and in my case, it turned out to be the love of my life. You know, you start learning about their family pretty quickly. And it wasn't long before I found out her mother was a committed Christian, and her three sisters were all devoted Christians. But she said, we're worried about my dad, because he never goes to church, never talks about spiritual things. Actually, my father-in-law, Mac, never talked about much of anything to anybody. Mac was from the great generation. He was in the Navy in World War II, came back and built a career with Coca-Cola, stayed with him for probably 40 years. I remember dating Mary Alice and Mac would just sit there. He didn't say anything to anybody. He just, I didn't know what he was thinking. But he never went to church. And I remember about the time we got married and moved off to, to Houston, a friend of his invited him to church and he started going to church, but we still weren't sure what his relationship with God was because he never talked about it. I think it was 1989. And we were living, our, our church used to be located on South Hillside, and there was a parsonage across the parking lot. That's where we lived at the time. And my, my father-in-law and mother-in-law drove up from Texas, and my mother-in-law got out of the Suburban, and we hugged, and we had a you know, little visit. My father-in-law just stayed behind the wheel, didn't get out. And Mac looked at me and said, get in the truck. So I got in the truck and sit down in the passenger seat. Mac took me down to the McDonald's at Hillside and Harry. And he said, Mark, I've been listening to your sermons on cassette. That's how long ago this was. He said, I've been listening to your sermons. He said, I grew up in the country with hard shell Baptist preachers. And he said, I just had a thought that I could never, I could never be good enough for God. But he said, If what I hear you say in these sermons is true, then Jesus died for me and paid the price for my sins. And if I put my faith in him, that's all that's needed. 
I sat in the hillside McDonald's with my father-in-law as he got to know for sure that he was God's child. And for the last 20 or five years of his life, he was a committed, committed Christian. In fact, he had a stroke that paralyzed him the last years of his life, but before that stroke, he and my mother-in-law were down on the Mexican border doing lay mission work. And I preached his funeral. He died six years ago, right about now. And when I preached Max's funeral, I told that story. How about you? Maybe religion has turned you off the way it turned Mac off. Maybe it's made you believe you can never be good enough. Truth is, you can't. Jesus was good enough. He did it for us. He lived the life we couldn't live, and then he hung on a cross and died the death we're not prepared to die so that if any of us walk in, stum come stumbling in like the song says, and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God washes our sins away, and, and, and God actually becomes our heavenly Father who never fails, who will hold you close no matter what happens. Have you had that experience? If you haven't, I want to just share with you, pray, I'll pray a prayer with you like I pray with my father-in-law. And if you want to be sure that God is your father, then you can pray this prayer with me. You ready? Let's bow our heads. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to be my heavenly father. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I know we normally dismiss right now, but I need you to see something. I always say the next series I'm going to preach is the biggest thing I've ever been part of. But this next series is like even just way bigger than that. And I need you to see it because it's a very special series. Watch you watch this. I'll be right back in just a minute. Pandemonium is simply the only way to describe the events that have transpired over the last several months. And while some are blaming climate change, others claim there's a supernatural power at work. International peace talks are at a standstill as violence continues to ravage the country. One local woman whose two young children were kidnapped from her home says no one is safe. This disease is now projected to claim the lives of thousands over the course of the next several months, and the government has just declared a state of emergency. Doctors are saying the cure could take years to develop, but from what we're seeing here, that won't be soon enough. This flooding has completely taken over the city block. Residents are fleeing from their homes, trying desperately to reach higher ground. And tonight at 7, it began with earthquakes and flooding. Then came diseases and war. Claims of a biblical plague might not be far off. These tragic events have led many to cry out for a savior. If there is one out there, we need the help more than ever. News Team 7 is bringing you this exclusive coverage of the man known only as Captain Amazing. Captain Amazing. Captain Amazing. Captain Amazing. Captain Amazing. This is really going to be big. If you've ever wondered what's happening next in the world, we're going to like take four weeks and hit the high, spot, high spots in the book of Revelation. So we're, every week's going to be important. And guys, I know July 4th weekend is July 4th weekend, but there's a message called the captain of our salvation 
if you're traveling somewhere, you need to be online. If you're here, you need to be here. That is going to be a phenomenal time. Captain Amazing starts next weekend. If you just prayed to receive Christ, please come back to guest services. I have a packet I want to give you. It's got a DVD, a book I wrote, and a coupon for a new Bible. Just tell them you prayed with Mark, and they'll give it to you. Happy Father's Day. We'll see you next weekend. <laughs>